Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is The Guardian. We want a return to what was the case prior to the implementation of these tariffs. And we've made this very clear to the Chinese that if that result isn't achieved as a result of this process of uh, review, then we're going to renew our uh, application in the World Trade Organization. Hi, I'm Daniel Hurst, Guardian Australia's foreign affairs and defence correspondent. Today on Australian Politics, we're joined in the podcave by the Minister for Trade, Don Farrell. Senator Farrell is back in Australia after travelling to Beijing late last week to meet with China's Commerce Minister. Now, this was the first time an Australian Minister for Trade had visited China since 2019. Listeners might remember that during the Morrison government, the Chinese government rolled out a series of hefty tariffs, bans and other restrictions on billions of dollars worth of Australian exports and stopped high-level dialogue for about two years. When I recorded this interview with the Minister on Tuesday, the talks in China didn't appear to produce any immediate breakthroughs. However, on Thursday, China's ambassador announced that China would resume imports of Australian timber. In this conversation, we discussed stabilising Australia's trade with China and the push for a free trade agreement with the European Union. Minister, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Daniel. So could you take us inside the room in Beijing once the cameras leave after the opening remarks? Is it quite a rigid exchange? Is it hard to build up rapport when you have to stop for interpretation? Well, not really, uh, to be honest with you. Um, The translation was instant translation, so there was no stopping. Um, As I spoke, then the translators uh, translated into uh, Chinese, and as the minister uh, replied, uh, then, of course, I I could completely understand one another. So it was actually quite an easy way of uh, communicating. Did you feel you built up that rapport? Look, I think we established uh, a good relationship. It was certainly a warm um, meeting. It was a very candid meeting. Um, The um, Chinese um, government made it clear what uh, their concerns about Australia's position was. And I obviously made it very clear what uh, our concerns about the uh, trade uh, impediments that continue to, uh, to cause problems for a variety of Australian businesses. You said candid. You're obviously an experienced negotiator. What's your assessment of what the Chinese government wants out of this trade stabilisation process? I think that's what we both want. We want to stabilise the uh, the relationship. We've talked down the language um, that the previous government was using. We have this paradoxical relationship with uh, China. On the one hand, they're by far our largest trading partner. We do more trade with them than we do with Japan, Korea, the United States, the United Kingdom and Germany put together. And yet we have these trade impediments in things like barley, uh, things like wine, things like crayfish. Uh, meat. So my job is to stabilise that relationship, get those products back onto the uh, kitchen tables of Chinese consumers and ensure that the Australian businesses that provide wonderful food and wine get an opportunity. One of the things at the height of the diplomatic tensions that the Chinese government continued to say to Australia was you need to decide whether China's rise is a threat or an opportunity. Where do you see it? I don't think that comes into the trade debate. Uh, We're talking about Australian 
food and wine going into China, getting into the hands of the Chinese uh, consumers. Uh, we can have that debate as, as we always had. We've always been selling iron ore, uh, natural gas, all of these other products to, uh, to China. In fact, one of the interesting things that I, I discovered uh, when doing a tour of a Chinese supermarket was just how many Australian products actually are sold into the Chinese uh, market. Dairy uh, products, uh, beer, cleaning produce. Um, and I'm told cosmetics is going to be the next big thing that Australia will be selling into the Chinese market. So, you know, my focus has to be on the trade issue. That's certainly the focus of the trade minister. And that's how I'd like to deal with it. China's commerce minister, Minister Wong, in his opening remarks, raised issues about Chinese investors and businesses being treated, as he says, without discrimination or treated fairly. Did you have a response to that in the meeting? Yeah, look, and uh, and we don't treat Chinese investors any differently from those of any other country. And I was able to point out some 270 Chinese commercial investments were approved in the last financial year, totaling $4.8 billion. Not only that, there was another couple of thousand uh, real estate investments. So the reality is that Chinese investors have very little issues with investing in Australia. As we were speaking, we met a company that had made a $2 billion investment uh, in an iron ore project in uh, in Western Australia, Western Ridge. So I don't believe the Chinese government should have any concerns about the way in which we treat their applications for uh, investment. We do it the same for China as we would do with any other country. Of course, you know, if we think that there are reasons why we shouldn't approve an investment, then we make those decisions. But we make those decisions based on our national interest and our national security. And every country does that, including China. I know you're not the responsible minister for this, but I'm thinking of high profile things like the ban on TikTok on government devices, the review into the port of Darwin, those sorts of things. China has also raised Australian anti-dumping measures on certain Chinese products. Have you given any ground on Australia's own anti-dumping measures? No, no, we haven't given any ground uh, on, on, on any issue. Let's look at Bali, OK? We lost uh, over a billion dollars worth of trade per annum in, uh, in Bali, we were providing very high quality uh, barley to the uh, the China market, particularly for use in their uh, beer making industries. That application had been proceeding through the uh, World Trade Organization. It was on the cusp of uh, a decision being handed down. We took a decision that we would pause that application to give China an opportunity to review uh, the tariff. The tariff on barley is about 80%, very significant uh, tariff. So we took a I guess, a, a strategic decision, which I think uh, demonstrated goodwill toward the Chinese government. And we're hopeful that that process has now started on the Chinese side to review that tariff uh, will result in the lifting of that uh, tariff. And all the indications were from our embassy staff, from the people who were involved in this application was that it was going well. And uh, we hopefully uh, will uh, get the result we want in a short space of time. That report was actually due to be handed to the Australian government and to the Chinese government a week or so before that decision was announced, and then it was going to be made public a few weeks later. So have we let China off the hook by sparing a negative ruling? I don't believe so, Daniel. The process had already taken a couple of years. Even if that decision was handed down and handed down in our favour, it's a potentially another couple of years before you get a final determination of the issue. What we've done is truncated that whole process 
That's because there could have been appeals and so forth. There could have been appeals and challenges. They have um, a range of other uh, legal options to delay the process. What we've done is truncated that whole process of perhaps two years of waiting to a three-month period. And I think that's a sensible thing to do in the circumstance. And it hopefully gets us the result that we want for Australian barley producers in a much quicker time than it might have been if we'd continued with the World Trade Organisation dispute. And more importantly, I think what I've said to uh, Minister Wang is that we believe that the process that we've set up in respect of barley can also apply to wine. Now, wine has been very badly uh, affected as a result of the um, bans, whereas barley, they have found other markets, albeit not at the premium price that we were getting uh, in China. But of course, um, there's been a couple of billion dollars worth of sales lost uh, in the wine industry that haven't been replaced by other markets. As you know, of course, uh, we're encouraging Australian businesses to diversify. We've got a new free trade agreement with India. We've got one with the United Kingdom. We hope soon to get one with the uh, European Union. I'm off later next week to talk to the Americans about re-engaging economically in our region. So sure, we want to stabilise our relationship with China. Uh, We want to get our products back into the Chinese market. But for the longer term, uh, we're looking at a trade diversification policy. And we might get into that a little bit shortly, but on the barley process that's been set up, what happens if at the end of the process they come back with, say, a 40% tariff rather than 80%? We'll renew our application. That's the understanding. We want a return to what was the case prior to the implementation of these uh, tariffs. And if, um, and we've made this very clear to uh, the Chinese, that if that result isn't uh, achieved as a result of this process of uh, review, then we're going to renew our uh, application in the World Trade Organization. It has to be fully gone, yeah, otherwise yeah, it will be re- resumed. Yeah. And you're confident that would be a, a finding in Australia's favour? Oh, look, I, I think there's very little doubt about that. And look, and I suspect one of the reasons why the Chinese have agreed to go down this path is because they probably think the same thing. So, look, it showed goodwill on our part, but it also showed goodwill on the part of the Chinese that they were prepared to fast track the reconsideration of these issues. Now, you brought a bottle of wine from your family vineyard. Yeah. How was that received? That was very well received. And um, I indicated to the minister that he would be most welcome to come to Australia for a, a reciprocal visit. He tells me he had been to uh, Sydney and, uh, and Melbourne. So I said, look, you're missing out on Adelaide. So come to Adelaide. Of course, we've got the foreign minister there. I'm there. The shadow foreign minister is also based in, uh, in Adelaide. So it would be a great opportunity. And if as a result of that, he gets a chance to visit some of the wonderful uh, vineyards, including those in the Clare Valley, that's going to be terrific too. And your family vineyard just sells locally to Australia. It doesn't have any exports, does it? No exports, no. Okay. um, Now, do you think that China will ever be admitted to the CPTPP trade pact? There's a process uh, involved uh, with the CPTPP. We are currently dealing with the issue of uh, the accession of the United Kingdom. Um, That was a long and relatively slow process, we're coming to the uh, end game in that in that process and there's been tentative agreement that the United Kingdom should, uh, should and can uh, join that group. We've set out, I think, a range of parameters for the consideration by all of the countries currently in that uh, as to how we might proceed. I guess the significant feature of the CPTPP is that any new applicants 
must be approved by all of the uh, the current uh, members of the CPTPP. It's a very long name, isn't I think it? They added the, the C and the P <laughs> yeah, after yeah, the US yes, pulled out, and, right, and they needed to, right, to re- right. rejig it. <laughs> so um, obviously, um, China can make an application, and any consideration uh, would be, you know, on the basis of uh, precedents that have been set down as a result of the United Kingdom's uh, accession. Did the minister raise whether Australia might be open to Taiwan? entering this? Uh, no, he didn't um, raise... And he didn't uh, that, give any commitments uh, on that either? No, no, that wasn't uh, the subject of discussion. He certainly raised that they would like to accede to the uh, CPTPP, and I gave him the answer I've just given you. Two more on China before we move to the broader trade diversification agenda. I think I'm interested that before you went to China, you said you didn't want to just go there for the sake of it. You wanted outcomes. Mm. Would it have been better to hold off uh, until there were some more concrete outcomes? Like, What would you say to exporters who might be impatient to see progress? Well, I, I don't think we built up expectations that we were going to resolve all of uh, our outstanding um, trade differences. Um, the reality is that those trade differences didn't occur overnight, and unfortunately, they're not going to be um, resolved uh, overnight. What we did achieve with this meeting was a pathway for the resolution of all of the outstanding uh, disputes. We're reinvigorating our free trade agreement and the provisions for processing uh, dispute applications under the auspices of the free trade agreement. So I'm confident that what we've brought back to Australia is a series of processes which, if we follow through with them, um, and you know, if there's goodwill on the part of both Australia and uh, China, that we can resolve all of those outstanding uh, Impediment, But look, it's a slow process. You've got to persevere and you've got to be persistent. What does the Australian government and Austrade tell Australian businesses if they ask about the risks of doing business in China? You know, as I said before, China is our largest trading partner. One of the things that was marked during the course of my visit last week was the fact that it was 50 years to the month when Australia's first trade minister went to uh, to China. We've been dealing with the Chinese for all of that period of time. And the reason why they're our largest trading partner is that we've built that trading relationship uh, up. Uh, Austrade, DFAT, all of our authorities up there have got a great uh, understanding of the uh, China market. We just want to stabilise that relationship right now and we want to get back to doing what we think we do best, which is provide wonderful food, wonderful wine into the China market. Before you went to China, you had a call with your European counterpart, and I understand you confirmed that things were on track for a deal by mid-year. What are the sticking points that you're trying to work through? Oh, look, they're the ones that we've had right from the uh, start, Daniel. From our point of view, we want significant uh, agricultural access to the uh, the European markets. Europe represents, um, you know, a group of nations, 450 million people, an economy of $3 trillion. So this, you know, is a really big potential market for Australia. So we want, for instance, access for our uh, meat products, our sheep products, our dairy products. So all of the things that uh, we think we produce uh, high quality produce in Australia, we want access into the European market. Well, what do they want? Well, they're pretty well known, the the GIs. They Fet- want us to... Geographical indicators, the Feta and Prosecco. Prosecco. Um, what, what are some of the others? Um, Parmigiana, Reggiano. Uh, and of course, they want the removal of our luxury car tax. Those are the sticking points. Are we going to have to give ground on those geographical names uh, in order to get a deal? Do look, you think it's a deal is impossible without us giving that up? Look, uh, that's the $64 question, uh, Daniel, and I wish I had the final answer to that. No, I've made it sort of very 
clear that you know after World War II, Australia accepted lots of uh, European migrants uh, into this country. They bought their culture, they bought their families, but they also brought their their food and their wine, and they've replicated that food and wine in uh, in Australia to the benefit all of Australian uh, consumers. It just doesn't represent a commercial interest for them. It represents a personal connection to their homeland. So all of the producers of these sorts of food feel very attached to the products and to the names. And uh, I've tried to explain that every time I uh, speak to my European colleagues. I did it last week when I spoke at the Europe Day uh, event uh, here at the Canberra Hyatt Hotel. There's a deep personal connection of those European migrants um, with these products. And I've tried to explain to the Europeans just how important and how difficult it is to give those things up. But you're not ruling out giving that up if there's substantial market access? Ultimately, we want a deal. You know, if we're serious about trade diversification, then we need to ensure uh, that we have a variety of free trade uh, agreements. But we haven't made any concessions uh, in respect of these uh, products. And let's see how the negotiations go. Now, I know you have to rush to get a flight shortly. So the last issue I wanted to ask you about is possibly an issue seen as quite a wonky one, but investor state dispute settlement, ISDS. It's quite contentious and it's an important issue within the Labor Party because unions and sections of the Labor Party are quite opposed to these provisions in trade deals. What is Labor's policy on this? you're not doing any more deals with ISDS. No, that's correct. What about existing deals that have that in them? Oh, well, if there are existing um, free trade agreements that have the the provisions, those provisions in them, we're not seeking to overturn them, of course, because they're currently legal obligations that we we have. We took this policy to the last uh, election. Why did we do that? Well, we see these um, provisions as significantly impacting on uh, our ability to make proper decisions in our national interest. To give you an example, the big tobacco companies used these provisions to try and overturn our ban on plain paper packaging. They weren't ultimately successful, but it was a very, very expensive uh, process. We've got Clive Palmer using uh, one of these um, provisions to overturn some decisions that have been made made by government. We don't think they're appropriate for free trade agreements. And in the new agreements that we're discussing at the moment, the European free trade agreement, the Europeans have not asked for these provisions. And in the um, Indo-Pacific Economic Framework discussions, which I'm going to Detroit for next week, um, they also have not been asked for. And I think we've decided Australia, New Zealand and the UK as part of the UK joining the CPTPP to not apply ISDS as part of that. Correct. Why have we felt comfortable doing that with the UK? Well, look, I think they feel the same threat to their own uh, national uh, interest as, as we do. And look, at the end of the day, if you've got those sorts of disputes, you don't really want to end up in the courts. If they've got a problem with some decision that we've made, then they should talk to us about it. Trade Minister Don Farrell, thank you very much for speaking with us. No worries, Daniel. Thanks very much. The producers for this episode are Mike Honan and Alison Chan. The executive producer is Miles Martignoni. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.